Hello, uh, I am Jack. I'm Frederick. And I'm Anna. And we're from Parity, the sponsors of Rustfest 2017 in Zurich, or Zurch, as it says on the schedule. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, we'd like to give our impressions of the, 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 the conference. Yeah, so general ideas. Um, as a first-time Rustfest attendee, uh, sponsor. This was really a, an exciting way for me to get to know the Rust community and to see kind of who is behind what's being built there. I liked, I really liked this, the size of it. I thought it was a great kind of size conference to be able to really get to know people. Um, I was super into the location. There was like a space meteor exhibit next to where we were, which was perfect, I thought. Um, and generally, I thought it was a lot of fun. So I guess for me and Fred, we would have somewhat known what to expect because uh, I hang out on the Reddit a lot. Uh, very, uh, and I don't know about you, Fred, but you seem to uh, attend a fair number of conferences for Haskell, at least. I, d I attend a fair number of conferences in general. Uh, it is my first Rustfest, though. But like you, I hang out a lot on the subreddit and uh, various you know, community outlets. Um, so I knew roughly what to expect. Um, but I thought it was an interesting conference still. I mean, my, my, the first thing that comes to mind on general impressions is day one was five blocks of three talks each. And that was a massive, yeah, like, true. intense conference. Sitting down. I would have honestly preferred. Until, yeah. what, uh, seven almost? <laughs> really, yeah, really it was long 8 a.m. to seven. It's long. I would have preferred fewer talks and more breaks and more mingling because like to me a big part of a conference is is talking to people and, and um having that time in in the hallway and just hanging out i mean true we, i guess we got a fair bit of that on on sunday although um even then not yeah. so much because uh, a lot of it was spent up doing the workshops i mean i enjoyed i enjoyed all the speeches i don't think uh, the talks uh, yep. i don't think i really um felt felt bored at any point although Admittedly, it was a very long time. What was your favorite talk? Uh, so I definitely think that the actor system talk that, that, that ended the first day was probably the most uh, instantly interesting to me. Because obviously, uh, so I, I ran the, the, the game development workshop. So I have somewhat of an interest in games and specifically games in Rust. because I feel like it has a lot of promise. And, and, and actor systems for games is something that I have never even considered before. I've never heard of that as, as a, um, a pattern for developing games. And so that was an extremely interesting thing for me and something that I, I think I would like to look more into in the future. Whereas everything else is sort of lots of good tips, lots of interesting stuff, but maybe not so much stuff that I, I could immediately apply to my work. Yeah, I agree that talk was awesome. Um, Having worked with actors in Erlang and Akka and that type of actor, like in distributed computing actor, it's sort of interesting to see that take. I mean, he's rediscovering a lot of the properties of actors, and he was sort of saying that, you know, he built it, and then out of that came, you know, hey, I can actually just make this queue available to the network, and now I have a multiplayer game. And um, that sort of discovery is, is amazing. And I love when, when that kind of thing happens. I think an interesting uh, property of that was that it's the first time I've ever seen actor systems um, that were built for performance first. Uh, like yeah. lots of very low-level low stuff with, with cache locality, with his 
quote unquote compact vectors, which um, I think I think he said that they that they um, have a less copying but maybe more pointer interaction based um, representation, and then when possible, it copies to the heap. That's like a it, like in the downtime. I think I think he said something along these lines. Um, he said there was. Uh, I asked him a question in the at the end, and he said that it use it. There's like a, a pointer to the rest, and then it copies yeah. everything contiguously later on. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I'd like to look at the implementation, although I haven't yet. Uh, it's only been a couple of yeah, days. Yeah, it was really cool. I'm a busy guy. Uh, <laughs> I I liked it a bit. Sorry. I like the game uh, talks in general. Um, mm. Lisa's talk on the GTEZ uh, game development framework was really cool and just a funny talk. Um, also super interesting to see how someone can get started really easily and quickly. And the Shah talk, I think, was very good because it sort of... Um, there was a lot of stuff which was extremely impressive to be built by a single guy, like specifically the editor software. Uh, I, I I don't think uh, so. I've built a fair number of games in my time, and I've never built an editing system for any of them, apart from like a really tiny thing to add like metadata to to, to a sprite sheet, which was basically not that much work. Whereas uh, it seemed like with Shy, it wasn't actually a huge amount uh, of effort on top of building the game itself, just to sort of add that editor as an overlay using using the immediate mode GUI libraries that Rust has. Um, as somebody who is coming into this without tons of experience, uh, really not at all, I would say that Lisa's game, the Create Rust Games Easily, was definitely the one that I could identify with the most. She was live coding it right there. I mean, just taking snippets and putting them together, but she was kind of breaking down what one could do with Rust in a pretty short time, and I thought that was super cool. It's funny, because there was like, I found the talks that were more about optimizing or you know very kind of deep dives into the rest language obviously I wasn't following as, as well but all of the talks where there was like practical use cases mm. um, as, as somebody who is newer to the space this was really useful to see like exactly where rust is already being used um, to understand you know why it's maybe a better language to use than others uh, I think that gave a lot of context on the first day I know that for me on the second day, getting a chance to do a workshop where we actually, there was one workshop that was very much targeted at beginners. So it was the Rust Bridge workshop. And it seems to have been um, the sixth of a series of workshops that they're doing. And this is from the Rust community where they're trying to share. Uh, this is actually really a really cool beginner class because it's for people who are coming from different languages or people who are pretty new to it. And I think they've done a really good job of putting together that um, curriculum and having a really great teacher to share that with with everybody. I think this sort of carries on the the um, uh, the, the legacy from from Ruby Bridge, uh, which I think a lot of a lot of Rust's community, uh, the, the sort of uh, um, orchestration of the community comes uh, from the Ruby community. Like, it takes a lot of inspiration there. Uh, I think there's a lot of the same. Uh, team, a lot of the same people who are who are big names in the Rust community that were big names in the Ruby community, uh, and you see a lot of the sort of similar uh, tactics of like trying to inc increase inclusive inclusivity. Um, Rust doesn't have the easy learning curve that Ruby had, but I think that, mm -hmm. that if anything, that means that the 
opening and welcome community is even more necessary in Rust than it ever was in Ruby, which is which is a easy easy uh, language to get into even if you don't have anyone to help you. True, but even then, I think like the exercises that we were doing definitely gave us like a pretty hands-on approach. We could actually do something. It wasn't purely theoretical, and I think that was really cool. I thought it was. I thought the exercises were quite well designed. Um, yeah, I think one. I mean, one of my personal takeaways was the sense that, like, I think I think when you're in one of these workshops, you could either go a very kind of handholdy approach and go step by step through everything, or you could try to dive in. And I definitely prefer the dive in, even if I'm not really quite ready for it. And I think people were cool with that. Like, that was something where I noticed maybe some of the style of teaching or learning wasn't totally fitting with the way I wanted to learn, but I think people were pretty open to that. And I had, I think because they had these mentors in the group, people who were more advanced and kind of relaxed, you could just work with them and kind of look over their shoulder and see what they were up to. And I think that's definitely useful to have in a group like that. Um, so that was one of the workshops on the day, on the Sunday. There were actually a bunch of them, and you guys were in two different ones. Hold, you were hosting two of them. We won't have a chance really to look at all of the workshops because there's only us three speaking about this, but maybe you guys want to share a bit about your experience. Yeah. I uh, hosted a workshop on machine learning and AI, and that sounds fancy, but really it was more about learning to write Rust code. I mean, so it was <clears throat> targeted at beginners. And the exercises people were doing were sort of AI related. And in the first uh, exercise, it was just about building a game tree for a simple game. So get a bot to play a game, you know, and, and finish it. So it was a roguelike game where, you know, you could make four moves up, down, left, right. And um, you build up this tree of basically all of the moves, you evaluate it according to some strategy and select a move. And um, the second task that people were going to do was uh, use a reinforcement learning library called Renforce. Uh, that's really simple to use and same kind of story, build a bot for a game. And in this case, it was a game from the OpenAI gym uh, that's called Taxi. And the point, the, the whole point of the game is to sort of pick up a passenger and drop them off at some location. And you teach the bot without uh, instructing it in any of the rules of the game, you teach it to, to do this task. And um, people really seem to like the workshop in general and sort of had fun with it. But it, it did turn out that my first task was a little bit too hard. Pe not enough, not as many people completed it as I wanted to. Um, and the second task seemed pretty um, on the ball with um, how hard it was. It was people were finishing it in uh, the time I expected it to take. So it was sort of uh, the, the, the second task was a success and the first one was a little bit uh, too hard. I, th I think the second one was very much more sort of um, it's, it's more of a solved problem in AI. You said it's from the, the AI gym, the open AI gym, which sort of means it's a it's a game that's built specifically to, to be solved by AIs. Whereas yeah. the, um, uh, the the roguelike game was sort of uh, a little bit more uh, uh, not, 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 not necessarily built for AIs to play. And so right. and they didn't have like for the reinforce 
for the reinforcement learning they didn't have or they had a, a library as well which they didn't for for the first one so they kind of had to do more of the algorithmically heavy stuff by themselves i mean it's right. not a, a heavy task to build a, a tree but it's still like you as a beginner to rust people were struggling with two parts like some were struggling with the syntax and semantics of rust and and how do you build a tree in rust and some were struggling with the algorithmic aspect of how do you build this tree and how do i make decisions based on it did you have any problems with the borrow checker as part of the opener i think like i gather it's pretty heavily mathematical mathematics stuff tends to be a lot more a lot more copy and clone uh less less focused yeah. based on on the borrow semantics yeah so uh, i that that's um trying to avoid that as much as possible i basically told people to you know uh, go ahead and clone everything <laughs> because uh it might not be the optimal approach but it's an approach that will get you to the finish line and then if once you have a bot that sort of works um you can start optimizing it and i mean that's my general approach to writing code in general in general and like write something that works and then make it work well yeah sure I, I think i had a similar thing with my code where i was trying to avoid uh premature optimizations although admittedly i do have a little bit of a tendency to do that when i'm writing stuff for myself i, I, I was um yeah so uh, there, there were lots of things that i did in my own code i was doing some live coding and sort of after i'd taught everything uh, that i felt like i needed to then I started sort of doing optimizations in the code after that. But I think uh, trying to, to teach people that would have would have muddied the waters. I actually think... I actually think what was, what, yeah, go. What was your uh, workshop about? You never gave the general uh, introduction to it. Yes. What, what was the task? So uh, I was doing a game development workshop. I, I was sort of trying to walk through the uh, building an Asteroids game, which I think sort of covers most of the basics of what you'd need to know in order to make any game, or at least any 2D game. Um, I, I think I don't think it went particularly well. I don't. I think that, that a lot of people got uh, something out of it. I feel uh, because there seemed to be a lot of people who who were asking me questions and then I was solving them, which I think is uh, a good sign. But I think I, it was it, there was lots of people who ended up sort of copying from the board from the live code behind me, um, rather than sort of writing things for themselves. Um, and I was like, uh, I was really intending that to be sort of just for, to, uh, to, to, to make the, what I was talking about concrete, mm -hmm. but I think to, that it to was give uh, inspiration, not to give the uh, answer key. Right. Exactly. But like, uh, it, I, I don't think it was the fault of the people who were, who were at the workshop. I think it was the fault of me for not building it in, in an open-ended enough way, but, uh, still, I, I don't think it was a complete failure, but I think that was one major flaw in it. For example, like, a. Yeah. When I was going around, a lot of people had the exact same like joke window title that I'd come up with off the top of my head. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like said like a <laughs> super high budget AAA masterpiece or something as my window title. <laughs> everyone had this exact same thing, <laughs> which I think kind of was somewhat indicative of a, of a problem of too much copying. But uh... my general uh, question to uh... Both of you is uh, what interesting conversations did you have? Um, and I'm talking about both of the days, whether standing at the parody booth or someone you met in a hallway or at a workshop. So uh, someone interesting that I met was the, uh, the one of the guys behind Clippy. Uh, I can't remember. It's Ollie something. 
uh, I can't remember his full name. I had uh, some interesting conversations with him, and I think that also Rob, who is helping me out for the workshop, had some interesting conversations with him. Uh, I, I, and generally, like around the games workshop, I had a few interesting conversations with people who knew a fair bit about like uh, OpenGL and graphics, and it was fun talking to them. I didn't get to talk to uh, Pierre uh, Tamaka on GitHub, who writes the Gleam and Volcano libraries. And I feel like he would have had something very interesting to say about, about graphics in general. Uh, I also had an interesting conversation with, with Lisa, also about games stuff. Obviously, she was the one doing the GGEZ talk. What just the about, uh, about the state of, just the state of game development in Rust. Which, what uh, was the conclusion then? <laughs> it's good or bad? <laughs> it's, I think the conclusion is generally what most people's conclusion is about the, the game development in Rust scene, is that it is not mature enough to be used for anything sort of serious. I think there are a few brave souls using it for serious games programming, but in general it's quite... It's quite uh, a, a lot of things that you'd want to do, there are simply not libraries for. And I think that... Um, there's certainly some good effort to improve the ergonomics of game development in Rust, like GGEZ is probably the best one. Uh, I, I was using Piston Window for my game development talk, but it has uh, major problems with the usability of images. Yeah. And and also the usability of text, which GGEZ solves pretty well, I think. But yeah, in, in general, the, the surprisingly seeing as there were so many talks and workshops about games, um, the, I wouldn't say that Rust is particularly great for games right now. Well, looking at the schedule, it wasn't really all uh, that much. It was, a, well, I mean, uh, I, I suppose percentage-wise percentage it was, but it was wrong. It was three talks, but there were still, there were three three talks on kind of IoT-ish things and um, like two talks on macros, which uh, is kind of interesting. Um mm. Yeah, microcontrollers uh, was obviously a heavy presence as well. So it wasn't like the whole conference was around uh, game development, but yeah, the three talks of the of the fifteen or whatever is is actually a decent percentage. I think it was interesting. Oh, sorry, go on, go ahead, Anna. <laughs> a lot of the people that I spoke to. So I spent part of the first day. <laughs> And a little bit of the second day at the booth, so actually talking to people who are interested in parody specifically. So I was definitely speaking more about Rust in the context of you know, blockchain uh, technologies. And what I found, so just a side note, just this is a bit of like a reflection maybe on the community, but um, when you go to usual blockchain events, you have a lot of people with stars in their eyes about blockchain and just how great it is. And what I found neat about these conversations is definitely there was a lot more skepticism in the Rust community for that, for the general concept of blockchain technology. And there's like a little bit more skepticism about crypto and all this. And so a lot of our conversations, a lot of the conversations I had was kind of seen in this community, what people know about what we're doing and, and what they think about what we're doing. I think a lot of people have, um, interest in it but yeah it was it was really that was sort of an interesting angle that i was exploring was to see like okay in the rust community is this is this you know is this a community that's super excited about this or not i think they're excited but i think there was yeah just a bit more skepticism than i expected i, I found that to be true uh, in general in technical communities actually uh it, when you go to meetups on blockchains uh there's typically like it's the majority is not programmers uh, it's a variety of people coming from a variety of industries and there's a lot of excitement but when i go to the, like programmer only events or conferences 
uh, there's a lot more skepticism because I think it, it sort of stems from the fact that they're aware of other solutions. So when they think of a blockchain, they'll kind of loosely relate it to a database and then say, you know, in their head, could I just use a database for this or not? Which isn't a bad question to ask at times. Yep. And um. often the question, often the answer is yes, you can just use a database. <laughs> Do you need a, a consensus between hundreds or thousands or millions of people? Probably not. <laughs> um, anyway, getting off getting off topic. Uh, actually, talking about the sort of various topics that the, that the talks had, as we were earlier, uh, I think it was pretty interesting how little high-performance computing stuff there was in this. I think there was... Um, there, there was some of it touched on during the, the talk about Citybound, um, as I mentioned with the... Um, compact vector struct that he was talking about. And there was the uh, um, distributed stream processing talk. But I think that the distributed stream processing talk, pre ugh, sorry about that, distributed stream processing talk, there we go, I'm good at English, uh, was very much more about the architecture of the stream processing system rather than the low level optimizations that Rust allows. And I think that's an interesting um, contrast to what you generally see in like a C++ conference, which is a lot of high performance uh, techniques and and libraries to, to allow allow such things. I think this, this certainly felt a lot more like a, a dynamic language conference, where there's tricks and, and funny things uh, and um, sort of a lot of practical use cases too, rather than uh, low level optimizations and performance. Right. I think it had a good mix of both. There was a couple of low-level uh, talks, but I, it brings me to one of the talks on um, can you or like Rust as a high-level language, um, which was one of the talks kind of comparing Rust a little bit to Python and, and other um, generally considered high-level languages and what, what the downsides and upsides are. And I think the lines here are really starting to blur. I mean, even people call Haskell a super high level language, but I don't really consider it to be more high level than Python or Ruby. And I, the line between Rust and Python and Haskell is to me, uh, very blurry. It's like, I, I think the only thing distinguishing the three are library support for various high level concepts. So, you know, Python and Ruby have great frameworks and, and libraries for web development. Rust is starting to get them now. Uh, so there's not nothing really stopping you from using Rust for high-level purposes. There's no manual memory management that you need to be concerned about. Like, you don't have to dig into the low-level details to use it productively. Whereas sort of in C, C++, you almost kind of have to. So I think um, as you know, we the Rust community moves more and more into the future. The focus on this low level, low level aspects, uh, it will still be there because it's still great for focusing on those low level performance issues. Um, but you can use it as a high level language if you want to. I think it's quite interesting that, that there's a lot of people coming to Rust who are not using the borrow checker as an alternative to ma manual memory management. They're using it as a, in a similar way to the people using types in Haskell. It's a, it's a way to prevent mistakes. 
and to prevent, prevent misuse. In fact, there was a there was a talk specifically about using the borrow checker to prevent misuse. It was um, a hammer you can only hold by the handle was the name. Yeah, and and, and, talk, and by the way, yeah, yeah. And I think that's it's interesting that if anything, Rust seems to be attracting more people from from the sort of. Uh, the the communities that want a safer version of Ruby rather than a safer version of C C plus uh, plus, a certain suddenly a lot of the sort of newcomers that you see uh, hanging around the Rust Reddit, they're sort of asking questions coming from a Python or Ruby um, perspective rather than a C plus plus perspective. Yeah. One of the things I I wanted to ask was about. Um... Zurich and the space and the setup and the, I don't know, was it, what, did you guys have any takeaways? Like, what was your favorite part of Zurich? <laughs> Good question. I think we were kind of in a, in a wrong spot for Zurich. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to say if, uh, say what the general impression was. Um, I've been there once. Well, my, my favorite part was the hostie or seeing people. <laughs> eating the hosti at that very Swiss dinner that we did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Before, yeah. I, I like it. Like, I like the vibe there. It's it's nice and clean and kind of um, feels very Swedish in a way. So I feel right at home. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, <laughs> the area we were in were kind of was kind of boring, but I think in general, the, I, it's a it's a pretty nice city. I think it's very extremely pretty looking, the city, uh, Zurich. There's like, uh, there was a moment when me and Marek were walking to the, the conference location and we sort of turned around and there was this uh, mountain that you could see in the distance and a lot of the smaller houses, lots of very beautiful architecture. We sort of both had to go out and take a photo of that, like the tourists we are. I think probably the, the, what it looks like was my favorite part and my least favorite part was paying 20 euros for a gin and tonic. <laughs> I was going to say that. Um, one of my, you're going to find this weird, but one of my favorite parts was going to that really trashy bar uh, on Saturday with, with these giant uh, drinks. <laughs> Frederick, you a got a large rum and rum coke. Rum and coke. <laughs> it was like just massive, massive and super expensive. Um, but I found it really funny to, or kind of fun to see that part of Zurich because I hadn't seen that before. I had only seen sort of fancier parts of it and this is cool. Um, in general, though, I did. I got the sense also from the team and from everyone kind of organizing it that it was a bit tricky uh, bringing a lot of people over to Zurich for a conference in general. Like, if you're at all budget conscious, it's like it's not easy because you're you're looking at. I mean, when we were looking around, it was something like thirty thirty francs was like minimum for a meal. Yeah. It's it's not so, a plate, cheap place to to live in and you know eat and drink. Uh, and even uh, from a conference point of view, um, you're bringing over a couple hundred people at least, and you want them to have you know cheap, easy access to lunch and dinner after, and being able to like meet at a bar with a significant chunk of the conference attendees is is a nice thing to be able to do. So, for instance, conferences in London, it's relatively easy to find especially if the conference sort of organizes something around this, um, a place mm -hmm. where, you know, 20, 30 people can go for kind of an after work like event. 
And I didn't really get the sense that there was anything like that in Zurich. So it's sort of hard to get that yeah. group of conference attendees together where you could just hang out in the evening. But I think it was also, I think it's a tricky city for yeah. that. Like I actually, in regards to the organizers, I thought they were great. I thought that they were super helpful. The whole thing was really well organized. Yeah. Liked, totally. Yeah. And I think I, I think it would have been, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's really an expensive city. So I think it's tricky to find places. I mean, I experienced it myself when we were looking around for places to eat with only like nine. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. Is there any last things we want to share? I can't think of anything off my head that hasn't already been said. Cool. Well, then, yeah. It, I think we had a nice time. Yeah, it's great talking to, talking to you guys. And now I will open the door, walk three meters, and talk to you again. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. I'll See wait. you later. Have so a good thanks. one. See you later. See you later. Bye. Everyone.